0: Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for this week. A bit later on in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. This one's a very interesting one. Three good reasons to admit you've failed. Also talking with Christina about uh, some tips for small business with regards to innovation. But right now we're going to cross over to AV Chartered Accountants and have a chat with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony.
1: I don't need three good reasons to admit i failed. I just need one. And it doesn't even
0: have to be a good reason either. You, no, 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 you don't want to be an accountant that admits you fail. <laughs>
1: oh Well, there's, there's, we're not immune from any other, like any other industry,
0: there's plenty that fail. And, and it's a good, when you, when you fail, you learn, don't you? That's it, that's
1: it. That's a whole, it's all oh. about getting back on the horse. So if I you never fail,
0: you never learn.
1: Yeah,
0: that's it. Yeah. So, so uh, we're going to talk today about uh, some changes that have happened to annual leave, uh, or, or particularly cashing in on annual leave.
1: I thought we'd end the year with a with a topic of um, being generous and be, being benevolent uh, heading into Christmas. So there was a change in July this year, which probably came as a bit of a, a surprise to a lot of people because it, it kind of um, uh, codified um, what a lot of employers do um, used to do anyway, and that is allow their employees to cash in um, some annual leave. Now, before this came in in July, technically you were not allowed to do, do it. it. And the risk that the employer always had in allowing, let's say you've got an employee who has um, six weeks leave, um, they run into a few financial um, problems and they say, can I cash in um, two weeks annual leave? They get paid the two weeks. So do the maths, they're supposed to have four weeks um, left. If things go pear-shaped and that employee leaves, what happened um, in a few fair work cases, they turned around and said, well, I didn't take um, annual leave. Um, so, uh, I'm still entitled to six weeks on termination. And by the way, the two weeks, you know, that you paid me, I didn't actually physically go away. That was just a, uh, a bonus. Mm, that was mm. a very, you know, the employer being very good. So yeah. I often used to say to a few employers, look, if you're going to do it, um, you'd want to know the employee quite well so that they, <laughs> they don't, don't turn, turn around and, 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 and double cross you. So, yeah, it was always. But anyway, it's been brought into. Um, into a number of awards. So if you have a specific award and you're thinking of doing it, make sure you look it up and make sure that that this change actually applies to the award that applies to you. Um, But in in most cases, they've made it applicable to a lot of awards. And basically the rules are you can cash out annual leave. You must have at least four weeks annual leave left after you've cashed out. There has to be a signed, written agreement. and, And here's where, you know, things are in writing now. So... There's none of that sort of, I oh, know, I didn't take it, I didn't um, get paid. Well, there's a signed written agreement between the employer and the employee, which becomes very important on on termination, as, as we just discussed. Mm. And you can't cash out more than two weeks every 12 months. Okay. Yeah, so again, and it's um, we're talking about the you know, Christmas time and people are always short of money and uh, yeah, credit card bills uh, rack up. Uh, probably not now, but certainly in January and February. But it is a way to... Um, um, look, and it's good for the employer too. I often think that, you know, keeping, keep staff uh, a there. lid on. Yeah, well, look, well, keeping two things. Keeping your employees happy is one thing, but also keeping a lid on your, um, liabilities, uh, leave yeah. liabilities, if you sort of, you know, pay them out rather than they just keep building up and up and up, and then you've got a, you know, you get an employee who leaves and you owe them, you know, 27 weeks leave sort of thing. So it's always good to keep a, a lid on that from a cash flow perspective.
0: Well, while we're talking about extended leave, uh, after 10 years, you can have a long service leave. Can the same thing apply to that?
1: Well, it's interesting you ask. No, long service leave has not... They haven't brought that in for long service leave. Um, long service leave entitlements, they have to be taken as leave. And, and I'm not entirely sure why they haven't extended it to, um, to long service leave. But the way it stands at the moment, everything we've just spoken about only applies to annual leave. So you still have that problem that if you want to cash in some long service leave and... And then later on termination, they know I've worked here for uh, X number of years. Um, they won't recognise any cashing in without physically, you know, you have actually have taken the the, uh, the leave. Mm. So they haven't no, they haven't extended it to uh, to long service leave.
0: So while we're talking about Christmas time and giving away gifts, uh, they're also uh, releasing us from some tax de- debts.
1: If you're lucky, if oh. you're lucky. Now I just thought we'd talk about a um, a tax case and and it's what what happened in this particular tax case. The tax office can release someone from their tax debt because of hardship, OK? So you've got to jump through quite a few hoops and, and you have to prove that it is actually quite um, you know, serious hardship. What happened in this particular case, the taxpayer had um, a fairly high debt. It was about $57,000, and he said, look, you know, if I have to pay this out... Um, I'd suffer serious hardship, so he applied to the tax office. What the tax office did, and this is what they're doing more and more, is they decided not to chase the debt, but they didn't actually write it off. Okay. So it hangs over them, you know, like the sort of Damocles type, you know, scenario. And this, this, what the taxpayer did was, you no, know, he's went, well, no, I'm not happy with that. I actually want the tax debt to be written off. So he actually took them to court <laughs> to try and get them to write off the debt. And, um, and he lost. They actually said, well, no, the, you know, you've been released from the debt, you don't have to pay it back. What was interesting about um, this, this particular case and some other cases is that particular debt still sits on, your system, on the system, and it's, it's actually invisible. Talking to another accountant, he was telling me a, a story about how he picked up a new client, um, told her that she was gonna get a, a refund of about $3,000, and she ended up getting a refund of only about five hundred because she had a very old debt of about yeah. two and a half thousand that the tax office decided that they wouldn't chase, but it sat there dormant. But it wasn't on the system anywhere; it doesn't, it didn't appear anywhere at all. It it hung over her like the sword of Damocles. And sure enough, when you're due for a refund, lo and behold, the debt gets reinstated. <laughs> they go and take it off, you know, whatever uh, whatever
0: refunds. So if it sits there on the system as you still have a debt, but they're not going to chase you, does that mean that if you apply for loans and things like that, it could still come up?
1: Well, it, it, that's, a, that's an interesting question. It doesn't sit on the system. See, the, the problem that this accountant said to me, when he, when he went to do her return, it didn't appear anywhere. It doesn't okay. actually appear on the tax office site in any of the accounts at all, as an amount owing, but it's invisible. It's in the system in the back in the background. So because mm. he picked up a new client, he had no idea that this lady had a had a previous debt. Same with anyone who picks up a new client, you wouldn't have a clue yeah. if there was a, if there was a prior debt. But if there's one there and they're due for a refund, all of a sudden, bang, it comes out of the woodwork. So to answer your question, um, banks these days ask for a printout of the portal. Yeah. You know, we've had, we're having to send things off to banks all the time to show how up-to-date, you know, the clients are up-to-date with their bazes and, and all their tax liabilities. It won't show up there.
0: Okay, okay. Mm. So
1: it's truly it's truly invisible. So, mm. yeah, very interesting. So you're, either, you're kind of released, but you're kind of not.
0: Great. Well, thanks for your time again, Tony, <laughs> and uh, thank you for uh, contributing to the show over the year. Um, you have a great Christmas, and we'll chat with you again in February.
1: It's
0: been my pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it and, uh, yeah, look forward to chatting in the new year. Thank have you, a Bob. Have Christmas. You too. Bye-bye. Cheers. Tony Vidray there from AV Chartered Accountants. Yes, uh, a couple of Christmas gifts there. Ch- changes to the annual leave. You can have, have a little bit of it back in money if you want to and maybe it can be released from some tax tax. Time to pop over to Christina with our discussion on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you
0: today? I'm good. Good job you weren't singing there. I left the, the sound I know. <laughs> Oh, did you? Uh, I tell
2: you my feet were tapping. I was tapping <laughs> while I was in danger of singing.
0: Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, five tips or five, five innovation tips for small business today.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really important to have um, some structure around any organisation's attempted innovation. Um, so the very first thing I think people should be really clear on before they go into any innovation session or before they start delivering an innovation program um, is know their why, which is is quite a um, something that's I believe is commonly talked about. Some people that I talk to haven't heard of it before. Um, But to actually identify the purpose of the organisation, the reason the organisation exists, and then frame your innovations either around that or try and find something completely left of centre. But if we kind of go into a situation where we have no direction... We often end up with no results. So, the, the terminology around that that's used by a lot of people is you know, start the way that you mean to finish mm. uh, and have the end in mind before you actually begin the process. So, really understanding the vision of the organization because the vision um, should lead you to where the possibilities for your organization might, um, lie. Now, the second thing in line with that is to plan time for innovation, and that doesn't just mean when people are going to do it. It means how they're going to do it as well. So often organisations go, OK, well, we want everybody to donate an hour of their week um, to being innovative. Uh, but they don't go, OK, well, let's have a coffee meeting or let's go for a walk or let's have a stand-up meeting or somebody go to a conference because there's very different ways that planning time for innovation can occur, um, including all those things. One of my biggest tips for um, organisations that send people to conferences is that they need to embrace the enthusiasm of the people returning from an innovation or a creativity conference or an experience and then encourage them to share that message with, yeah, that's right, because otherwise it's a lost opportunity. Um, But, you know, I heard something interesting um, the other day. Somebody asked the question, where do you have your best ideas? And not one person in the room actually answered that they have them at work. Mm. Many people have them um, when they're at a conference or in conversation with someone else or over a cup of coffee or when they're going for a walk. So we often say to people, you know, if you're going to have this planned time for innovation, take it out of the familiar circumstance that you're in. Yeah. So that would, be, that would be tip number two. Tip number three, and we'll get start getting a bit more specific now, is read widely. So divergent thinking, which is where you, you look at many ideas to come up with a solution, is the way to go in innovation. So you bring it in, you use imagination, you use creativity tools, but you need to use that divergent thinking. You need to have the different brains in the room in order for the innovation process um, to be to be um, to have an end and to actually achieve something. So when we like we run some innovation programs, and, and there's a couple of things that we say. You know, we we actually allocate 15 to 20 minutes reading time. So we'll take in a whole lot of different reading material um, and so just to read fifteen minutes to read pick up pick up a book, pick up a magazine, look up something on the internet, but just spend that time reading outside of your your zone and there's some research that 's come back now around imagination that so if you think back to to you know um a few years ago or quite a few years ago now, where children read, they read before they went to bed they you know they got involved. Mm certain theories etc there has been real benefit linked to that reading because in that process of reading imagination is stimulated what we need in problem solving which is where the big innovations happen um, is imagination that leads to creativity so if you can't think outside you know I don't really want to use a cliche if you can't think outside the box but if you can't think outside your own area your own level of expertise you're not going to be able to bring in ideas from other organisations, ideas from other um, learning into creating a new innovation. Mm. So that would be number three, read widely. Number four, think of innovation in terms of a mass transformative purpose. So we're quite familiar with the term minimal viable product. But uh, some new terminology, um, that really, you know, um, I really align with is when we're looking at mass transformative purpose. So if you look at things like Airbnb, Uber, you know, all the traditional big changes that have occurred recently, they have a mass transformative purpose. Google, for example, you know, they wanted to organize the uh, world, sorry, yeah, wanted to organize the world's information. So they had a, a huge transformative purpose in, in their intent. So, we often ask organisations, what's the biggest problem that you want to solve? Don't even, don't think about thinking small, just go big. What's the biggest problem that you want to solve? Um, for your clients, always targeted at what your clients want. Of course. And the last, the last tip, have oh, I got time for the last tip? Yeah, yep. How am I going? so the last tip would be, um, what I've termed, now termed the three S's of braining. So it's brainstorming, brainstreaming, and brain shifting. So, brainstorming, most people are familiar with, you put mm. some people in a room and you go, okay, go for, you know, think about the ideas. Brain is where you actually just, you, you clock people, you go, okay, here's the problem that we want to solve or here's the organisation and what it does, here's our purpose, let's figure out from our client's perspective how can we be of better service to them and you just clock people and you go, right, right for five minutes, do not stop, don't don't stop to analyse what you've written. Just go for it. What is the streaming process that comes out of the brain? And the last thing, the last S was brain shifting. And I, we may have spoken about this before. Mm. In a brainstorming session, sometimes there tends to be one dominant voice, whereas in a brain shifting, you get people to work on it on their own mm. for a minute, a minute and a half, bring it back to the group, back on your own for a minute and a half, et cetera, so that you're getting equal voice from all the members and that, right. that, you know, again, divergent thinking, put as many thoughts and processes in the, in the innovation as you can
0: Great, well thanks very much for your time again and we'll have a chat with you again next week
2: Certainly, we'll look forward to it Julian Have thank a great week.
0: You too, thank you, bye 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 Christina there with five tips for innovation, very useful tips Well it's uh, 28 minutes to two, time for a Harvard Business Review tip as we said earlier, three good reasons to admit you failed. As a leader, admitting failure is critical. Many people try to shrug shrug off uh, missteps as things that happen to everyone. Although doing so might seem harmless, there are many good reasons why you should admit you've messed up. And here are three. First of all, to connect with your employees. While it's true that employees won't want to discuss their own failures, they're more likely to connect with leaders who admit to theirs. Even if the specific failure isn't applicable to staff, simply talking about it helps you connect. Secondly, to learn. Failure is only positive when you learn something important from it and make the necessary adjustments. If you don't do this, you cannot learn from outside perspective and you're more likely to stay in denial. And finally, to tolerate mistakes in others. As much as leaders openly say that failure must happen for innovation to be present, many get upset as staff who fail or struggle. Their attitude, uh, they, that attitude shuts up staff, closes down experimentation and obliterates creativity. Set an example that failure is okay. And as we said earlier, failure is often a reason to learn, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. hope you've enjoyed the program. We've uh, looked at uh, some changes to annual leave, whereby you can cash in a little bit, and also possibly releasing from tax debts, and those five tips for innovation for a small business. Next week, we're going to talk about the legal aspects of those Christmas parties with Rebecca Mackenzie from Baker Love Lawyers and, of course, have that Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Dale Carnegie once said, remember, happiness doesn't depend on who you are or what you have, it depends solely on what you think. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care,
2: finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.